How we sound? That was inspirational. Thank you, brothers. I, I needed that. I, you know, every time, you know, I've done, I've, I've been invited to speak numerous places over the years, and, and uh, it doesn't matter. I still got that voice in the back of my head saying, what are you doing there? What are you, what do you think, who do you think you are? So I needed that. Thank you. And uh, speaking of feeling vulnerable, looking at Pat's face there sitting on that table was an inspiration too. <laughs> well, good morning. Happy Sabbath to you. Still morning. Praise the Lord for that. Um, the story today is about a lady who Jesus tells us has the kind of, kind of faith that he is looking for in an end-time setting. Now, you might think, wow, that's a little bit extreme, but maybe not. If you take a look at this story, Jesus brings something out to the surface here uh, in his acclaim for this lady. The story begins with a young girl growing up in a, in, in a nice neighborhood in Bethany. Has a lot of nice things going for her. Beautiful family. Playful, enjoying life. She begins to grow up and, and becomes a young lady. And, and as, she's, as, she's, as she's hanging out, just doing life, she begins to become a woman. She catches the attention of her uncle. Her uncle has kind of stepped in. Perhaps there's no dad. It's, it, it, the story kind of gives us some ideas that maybe her father died. So the uncle steps in. Good intentions. But something happens as she grows up. And the uncle seduces her. Tragic. It sends her emotions reeling. She doesn't know what to do. There's no 800 number to call or 911 or some kind of ministry you can go visit because the problem is that her uncle is also a member of the clergy. He's an upcoming rising star in the church. Who would believe her? Right? She's distraught, has, has very little options, really. She has no options. And uh, so things go from bad to worse. She runs away from the problem and lands uh, at a place called Magdala. Magdala is, there's a uh, Roman garrison in Magdala. And she goes there with all her shame and rage. And she falls off the cliff in Magdala into the abyss. She's described as a woman with seven devils. A way of saying her, her fall, her, 
the demonic possession of her mind was complete. And she spiraled down into the abyss. And she began to take it out, take out her frustrations in the only way she knew how. And she became a prostitute. She doesn't have a real high opinion of the church or of the clergy, as you can imagine. And she uh, has a deep resentment for men in general. But one day, fortunate for her, she ends up coming across this man who is completely different than anything she, or something she senses, even though her mind is, in, is just... This isn't the kind of person you want to sit next to and hang out with. She's really past any help, any hope. When you're possessed of seven devils, you've got problems, right? Personality issues. Maybe you're, maybe you, you're talking to yourself a lot. Wait, I do that. Wait a minute. Uh, there's a lot of things going on here. She's not a pleasant person, right? You don't, want to see, you don't invite her home. You don't want to sit next to her potluck if she even came. You know, this, was, this is not the kind of person you invite back to lunch. Oh, how nice to see you. You're such a nice person. This is not Mary. But she has the good fortune of running into a man who has a disinterested love in her and she picks up on this and she's drawn to him and she sits and listens to him from a distance and something is awakened even in her desperation even in her depravity there is something awakened in her that draws her to this man which made her feel very uncomfortable Jesus sees her and prays for her. And had an impact on her. And, and you know, part of that is, you know, she, he didn't pray for her like I would pray for her. Oh, oh Lord, oh Father, please help this young girl. And she's had such a rough time. And oh, it's just terrible. And I just want you to lift her up. I lift her up in prayer and da 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 da, you know. That's how I might do it. But Jesus prayed with strong crying and tears, emotionally invested in this prayer. And Jesus is pleading, and the tears are running down his face, and Mary's watching this, and it impacts her soul. And she responds, and she just feels liberated. And she's just like, wow. And she walks away, she goes away from this feeling, I'm restored. Her life is changed by this one prayer. I don't think I've ever prayed for anybody that has felt that way afterward. But it was like that for Jesus. But then she fell again. 
and started backwards into her old pattern. And Jesus prayed for her again with strong crying and tears. And again she felt delivered. And then she fell again and again. And you could almost imagine a disciple saying, well, look, you know, how much time are we going to spend on this lady? You can't save everybody. We've, we're busy people. We've got work to do. We're going here, we're going there. What, what are we doing going back to this? Right? Now, if you think that's not the case, wait till you get into the story. Very much the case. Why are we spending all this energy Then finally, he prays the seventh time. And that seven demon must have been, if you are familiar with the, what abuse does to somebody, sexual abuse, the psychological, emotional damage and, and bitterness and towards the perpetrator, that seven seventh demon that was controlling her life must have been her deep hatred for the man who sent her into this abyss, her uncle. But now that hatred be disappeared. It took seven prayers. And you know, that kind of encourages me not to give up on people, right? You might have to pray seven times 70. <laughs> I don't know. But Jesus did not give up. He is a persistent fellow, isn't he? God is a persevering person. And he didn't give up on this lady. And then she was free. And it was, it, the deliverance was complete. The, the hatred for this man was gone. And it no longer controlled how she interacted with anybody anymore. How'd you like to get to that place? Now, as this healing was taking place, as this freedom was becoming deeper and deeper and complete, she began to, to comprehend something that the disciples seemed to miss along with everybody else. Being a woman, she could see things that men couldn't see. She was able to perceive something that Jesus had been saying, but nobody was listening, but she was. Jesus is going to die. The context of this story we're going to read is just before the Last Supper, the betrayal in Gethsemane the beatings, and the ultimate crucifixion. She is able, she's picking something up here. And it's not, it's not like, well, you know, he's going to die. He's really going to die. The real thing. She's picking up, he's going to die at the, as, as crucified, lifted up. She perceives that this is not just some death you know, that other people have died. This is the real thing. This is being cursed of God being hung on a tree. 
There's a, there's a depth to her understanding of what Jesus is actually going to do. When you are cursed of God, you are thrown down the steps to weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's no hope. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. You are done. You are surrendering everything forever. And she picked this up. He's going to hell for me. What can I do for him? I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I, you know, I, I can't even speak in public. I, my reputation, I'm, I'm, nobody will hear me. Nobody will, there's nothing I can do. I know. After he dies, I can privately come up and anoint his body. I can say thank you that way. So, she plans that out. So, well, I need to get some ointment. So she goes to the merchant. And she doesn't, she doesn't go find the, 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 you know, the, the sale at Sears. Is there a Sears? There's no Sears. <laughs> Whoops. Okay, i got to change the story. I've done this story before, but there was a Sears. Uh, Aldi? Am I picking on? I don't want to. Who should I pick on? I guess I'll pick on Sears. They're gone. Uh, so she, but she doesn't go there. She goes to a specialty shop. And she wants to get something good, something that, you know, something that reflects her, you know, her appreciation for being rescued from hell. So she asked the merchant, what do you have? Well, you know, I, you know, I, I have some good stuff here. Here's, some, I've got, here's something here, but it will cost you a hundred silver coins. That is the income for four months on the job. I don't know how much money you make, but put that in your pocket. How much is four months to you? Now, I'm not a rich man, but four months to me would be nuts, right? Maybe to you, too. If you're making minimum wage, that's still pretty good money, isn't it? I mean, especially if that's all you're making is minimum wage. But Mary says, well, do you have something better? Well, yeah, the shopkeeper might say, yeah, we have something better, but... But this is really good, this is really, really good. This is like the, almost the best there is. This is really expensive. This will cost you eight months' salary. 200 silver coins. I don't know, Mary, do you really think that's, that's a lot? You know what? I'll take it, she says. And she's getting ready to pay. But you said it's almost the best? You have something better. Well, yeah, but I mean, I kind of keep it hidden. I mean, I, I don't really tell too many people about this because it's very precious, most precious. It's, it's you know, it might be, I mean, this is for dignitaries, maybe even the, even the, the great Caesar across, he might need it one day. It's 
300 silver coins, a whole year's worth of work. It's way, way out there, Mary. You don't want that. That's nuts. I'll take it, she says. Probably every penny she had. She takes her flask, alabaster flask, heads home, puts it on the shelf, and waits. Her uncle, you know, some, some people think that men have no conscience. Certainly looks like that sometimes, doesn't it? But all these years now, Simon has had to deal with the fact that he ruined a woman's life, his niece, his brother's daughter. And this has been eating away at him over the years, you know. And on the surface, he's patting the backs of his fellow Pharisees, and everything's great, and ha, 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 and we're just, you know. But at home, he lays his head on his pillow, and he's got to deal with the Spirit of God convicting this man. But no one sees it, but it's happening, right? Happens to you and happens to me. And... uh, you know, it break, it'll break your body. You fight the Holy Spirit, something's going to break down, the weakest part. Well, Simon was stricken with what at the time was believed the curse of God, leprosy, right? So he has the good fortune of a man walking by and he cries out for deliverance from this man. And Jesus doesn't ask for anything. He doesn't say, well, boy, you got some baggage, brother. Maybe you should, maybe you need to fix things. Maybe you need to go fix something with somebody and then come back to me and then we'll talk about healing. Jesus doesn't do that. He freely, gracefully heals him. No questions asked. No preconditions, nothing. He just does it out of pure love, grace, Mercy. Simon, the proud Pharisee, is now healed. The problem is, is his buddies up here in the first couple verses of chapter 14 are plotting what? The death of the man who just healed him. I've got to be really careful here, he's thinking, right? How do I handle this? Well, I can't just ignore it. Um... I got I to gotta say thank you somehow. I mean, you know, I got to follow. There's some quorum here. To, there's, there's something I, I, I really need to figure something out here. I know. I'll throw a dinner in his honor. So there. So we find our situ, We find a story here in chapter 14. Mary gets wind of the dinner. And she starts to think. Something is inspiring her. If I anoint his body when he's dead, he'll never know how much I appreciate him. 
I can get into this party. She knows everybody who's, she knows the host, she knows her her sister is hosting it, her uncle. She knows everybody and she doesn't have any of this baggage against anybody. She's free from that. She knows the back door, she knows how to sneak in, she she knows her way around the, the, the landscape. I can get in this party. She's not invited, of course. You know, that wouldn't be right. I, anoint, I could anoint him while he's still alive, and then he'll know. She grabs her alabaster box and heads there. Verse 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table. A woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil. Some versions say most precious ointment. And she broke the flask and poured it on his head. So here you go. She arrives, she sneaks in. The way people sat at the table was they sat kind of on an arm. They didn't sit, they kind of reclined. Their legs were kind of facing out, away from the table, you know. So she kind of sneaks in, gets by his feet. Nobody knows, you know, everyone's kind of, there's music, there's talk, there's chatter, you know, the usual. And there she is, and she breaks the seal. And she begins to pour some oil on him. She's, a fountain opens up in her heart, and she just begins to tremble into weak, weep uncontrollably. She's shaking, you know. This whole thing is just consuming her. She's just overcome with gratitude. And things start to spill. And they get into the cracks in the wood. And, and everything's just flowing everywhere. And the smell just fills the room. And it's spreading everywhere. And this stuff, when this stuff fills the room, everybody stops. This is... 300 silver coin stuff. <laughs> and the music stops and people stop talking. And everybody's looking, what? What is, you smell that? What is that? And they look around and they see this woman pouring this oil on his head. We'll find out on his feet as well. And as she's doing this, the tears flow out and they start to fall on him, on his feet. And he has, and she, 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 she didn't think to bring a towel. She didn't plan this. She didn't have a list. Okay, you know, uh, well, let's see, I'll get there at 7 o'clock and 10 after 7 I'll do this and 7.15 and then I'll make sure, okay, what items will I need? I'll need this. She doesn't do this. She's completely motivated by something outside of her that is filling her heart. And she begins to dry his feet with her, with her hair. Well, verse 4. 
But there were some who were indignant at what she was doing. And it says here, why was this fragrant oil wasted? She could have been sold for 300 silver coins. And they criticized her sharply. This word is, is, a, is a word that, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a really nasty word. They were really tough. They were mean. Who are these some? Well, Mark, young Mark, who wrote this, is being polite. <laughs> but Matthew doesn't care. Matthew tells the story, the some were not some of the temple guards that might have been there, some of the Pharisees of Simon's some of Simon's associates might have been there, or you know, just some, some of the servants. The sum weren't, weren't any of them. The sum were Jesus' own disciples. The future leaders of the church. And their ringleader, John says, was the great prime minister, future prime minister of the kingdom, Judas Iscariot. That was the sum. And you, what, could you blame them? I mean, what, I mean there's, there's church board members here, right? A lot, of, a lot of church board members here? Okay, what's on the agenda? Well, you know, so-and-so wants to spend a whole year's worth of, you know, just on this. Who would, who would go along with this? Who would, uh, we get 100% unanimous? Yes, this is a great idea. Let's spend the money. No responsible church board would do this, right? If I was on a church board, I wouldn't. It's, it's crazy. So they criticize her sharply. Deeply. They completely humiliate her. But Jesus said, let her alone. No, he did not say, let her alone. He said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? Now, this was in defense of this woman who is now, she's thinking to herself, oh, my, oh boy, mate, these disciples, these are his disciples. You know, he's, they're very, very spiritual holy men they've been with Jesus all, all this time and they know and I, I, I really screwed up and she hits the there are poor and I, and I, 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 I wasn't thinking I just something I don't know what got hold of me I just did this I, oh no there are little boys and girls in Bethany that need shoes all this could have been sold to help the poor and you know, and Jesus, if he were, if it were me, you know, you want to kind of keep everybody, you want to keep united, right? Maybe you say, well, you know, uh, that's, it's really nice of you, Mary. I'm so glad you appreciate what I've done for you. And you, you've, you, you know, it, it, 
it just warms my heart what you're willing to do, what the, the, the show of appreciation. Uh, but, but Judas is right, you know, disciples are right. You know, there, there's, there's just so much more we should be doing. And, uh, and uh, so take what's left here and, and, and sell that and give the money to Judas, you know. And, uh, and you'll, you'll know next time, right? Right, Mary? Thank you so much. And everybody's happy, right? But Jesus doesn't do this. He defends her vehemently. Why? Why doesn't he do what I would have done? Maybe he sees something that I wouldn't see. The disciples didn't see. And his words catch her as she's running towards the door. She has done a good work for me. In, in, in the original, uh, it's, it's an extravagant thing for me. That's perfectly tuned and appropriate is the idea. What she has done is so precisely perfect and appropriate, which, you know, you just see the disciples going, what? What a waste. Are you kidding? For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good, but she, but, but you do not have me always. She has done what she could. You find yourself one day by God's grace standing before him. If he ever says to me, if I ever arrive at that place and he says to me, Mike, poor soul, you did what you could. That would be like sweet music, wouldn't it? If the Lord Jesus says that to you, you did what you could. Here is the Savior saying this about this lady. She did what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. There is so much in that statement. I'll just say this. As we move forward, you'll see that it wasn't just his body. It was his soul. Later, Jesus is hanging on the cross and everybody has abandoned him. Nobody cares. He's being thrown away. Read Psalm 22. He's like a like, like a limp dish towel just, just thrown out. Nobody cares. Come down from the cross. Nobody, what are you doing? You're wasting yourself. Why this extravagant pouring out of yourself? Enough to save the whole world and just so nobody, nobody even cares. The devil just keeps going at it. But remaining on his brow is a fragrance as he hangs on the cross. There is somebody who appreciates him. In his greatest hour of need, there is somebody that he can, that this fragrance reminds him of, this daughter of Bethany. We don't want to forget that. 
Assuredly, I say to you, he writes, he says, wherever this gospel is to be preached, even to the ends of the earth, here even in Downers Grove, what she has done needs to be told. Her expression of gratitude is an end time message, you see. Now we pick up the end of the story in Luke chapter 7. Jump to Luke chapter 7 and we'll, we'll get through this real quick, I hope. Luke tells the story from Simon's perspective. The proud Pharisee repented. In fact, everybody in the story repents except for Judas. And Simon is telling the story later to, to, uh, to Luke. And it must have been tough to do. Because he gives details. Verse 36 of chapter 7. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. When she, was, when she knew that Jesus was at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrance, fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, and he's speaking about himself to Luke, I can't imagine how embarrassing this must have been. But when you've been forgiven, you can tell the truth, right? He's telling the truth. Now when the Pharisee, when invited him, saw this, he spoke to himself, saying within himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner I know this woman don't I you know uh, you know I, I, I was a lot going on you know I'm glad I didn't I'm glad I did not cast my vote as this man being the Messiah you know it's a lot going on here I thought maybe he might be the guy and there's so many stories about what he's done and he healed me and wow 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 but I'm just glad I didn't announce to the world that Jesus saves. Because if he knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't allow her to touch him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I got something to say to you. Simon says, yep, okay, what's, what's that? Verse 41, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors and one owed him 50 silver coins and another owed him 500 silver coins. What do you think, Simon? Let's say he forgives them both. Which of the two will love him more? Hmm. Simon has walked into a trap. 
And he starts, the blood starts to rush to his face and the noose starts to kind of wrap around his neck. Uh-oh. I suppose, he says, the one whom he had forgiven most. Hey, A plus for you, Simon, Jesus says. Well said. You're, you're, on, you're on to it. Verse 44. And Luke puts it in a way that you don't want to miss. He turned to the woman, but he's still talking to who? Simon. And think of it now. Let's, let's say... Let's say you're walking along and you, there's a beautiful sunset. You're talking to the person, but you're looking at the sunset, you know, or a rainbow, or, or you're talking, you, you, you're, you're captivated by the sunset, right? And Luke is trying, in and in the way he describes us, he's trying to tell us that Jesus is captivated by this woman, but he's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman, he says? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Just a common courtesy, you know? You wouldn't even give me water so I can wash my own feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss. And she has kissed my feet since the time I got here. You did not even give me some cheap cooking oil you find up in the cupboard there. You know, I can anoint myself. You know, I mean, I'm the, uh, you know, you, you brought me here as the honored guest and you're not even honoring me. You just kind of just put it, push me over there. Let's get this evening over with kind of thing. You didn't even bring me just some cheap stuff. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. There is a spiritual lesson here. If you imagine yourself only needing a little forgiveness. You're a pretty good guy. That's me. Look at me. I'm up here preaching today. It must not be too bad. Right? Get involved with this. And, you know, I teach a Sabbath school here or there. And, you know, I give a little, give a little coin. I must be pretty good. If that is where I see myself, I am doomed to love what? Little. Mary was possessed of seven devils. She saw herself as the chief of sinners, which opened her up to the capacity to love what? Much. The problem is, for me, is I do not recognize 
how desperate the situation is for me. You have that problem? Laodicea does. Are you part of Laodicea? You fitting right in? I do. Why is our devotion so forced sometimes? Why is it so hard? Maybe we don't see how much we've been forgiven. Maybe we compare our, you know what? I'm speaking for myself. You can let the Holy Spirit, you know, take it from there. But if we see, if we do not recognize, we are not, let's put it this way, we are Mary. We have the capacity to, re, to appreciate as she did. In fact, she is the prototype Christian. She is the one that Jesus, Jesus died on the cross, paid an enormous price to produce people like her who appreciate him and give everything extravagantly. Why? Because she recognized that he gave everything extravagantly. The pouring, the, the waste everywhere. You know? Just pouring himself out. She was reflecting this, you see. And this is what he's looking for in these last days. A faith that appreciates the depths of, of, where, of what he went through and how desperate our situation is. Maybe it's the other way around. Recognize how desperate our situation is and what he went through to get this. And then we respond from the heart. And this is the essence of the great controversy, my friends. Satan has gone on record. He has proclaimed it. The idea of love, of agape, the only really genuine love that God talks about all the time. He's always blabbing about this agape, right? Satan says, that is a fraud. It doesn't exist. And all, those, all your saints you died for, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you, you push them against the wall, they'll save themselves first. Just let, just, just, put, just let me put them in the right circumstance. They talk about, yeah, I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. But you get them in the right situation, and they'll turn your back on you. That is the accusation that Satan is making towards God. And he's been making it for thousands of years. And Jesus says, no. My sacrifice will produce a, produce a people that appreciate what I've done so deeply that they would rather die than turn their back on me. Can it happen? Or is that... or, or is God expecting too much. We're not talking about performance. We're talking about a mature faith that appreciates the depth that Jesus went through to save the world, to save me. Got a question for you. We'll wrap it up with this. The last bus for heaven pulls up and an angel gets out 
sees you there, you're ready to get on the bus. And he says, well, you know, hey, we appreciate everything you've done, all your, your financial support of the movement, and, and, you know, you've been involved, and you've been helpful, and, and everything, but, you know, uh, there's no room on the bus. We've, we've got to go, so I'm sorry. And he leaves. What if you knew that was going to happen? Would you stop serving Christ right now? Or even if he slays you, I will not curse him. I will serve him even if I'm going to be lost. It doesn't matter. I'm, it's not about me. It's about the honor and vindication of the Savior. Will you honor him in your life even if you're not going to make it? The answer to that question is big. It reveals where you are. Jesus left everything. And when he hung on the cross, it was goodbye to life forever. He could not save you and himself at the same time. And he made the choice that he'll save you at any cost to himself. Can he produce such a people that reflect that? And that is the goal of the gospel. Shall we be a part of that? Can God make a dead man walk? Our closing hymn is 330.